Uh, Luke chapter 11, we'll be starting in verse 14. Of course. Lots of red text. Can't screw that up, right? Don't mess that up. That's important. Okay. Luke 11. I'm going to pray and then we will uh, begin the conclusion of this study. So, um, Holy Spirit, um, I need you tonight. Uh, We all need you tonight as we do every day, every night, um, just to reveal your truth to apply that truth to our heart as no man ever could. Um, and so would you just, would you bring up in us all that you seek to remove and to dwell in the place of in our life? Just removing demons and affliction and oppression and evil is not good enough because it will come back even more intense than the first time. But would you remove that so that we, you, we could be filled with you? That's the key, is that we're replaced, our heart like a vacuum, constantly requiring occupation, that we would remove the evil occupiers, but be replaced and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Would you just move among your people, as Zach and Dane and I prayed, and Jonathan, we prayed before us, would you just move in your people? This just wouldn't be another night, another sermon, at the end of another year. Just another part of text, get through it, get some cookies but that this would be an impactful time for us as we we take a look at the reality of choosing between two teams. And so would you make us come alive to your word tonight? Would you indwell in us? Would you encourage us, empower us, restore us, teach us through your truth about life and life more abundant in Jesus and Jesus behind lifted up tonight? As we pray every night, we mean it more and more every night. Behind, lifted up. This church, this state, this nation, this world needs nothing more than to see Jesus high and lifted up. And so Jesus, would you do that? We trust that you will. So Holy Spirit, empower me to teach. Holy Spirit, allow all of us to learn. Empower us all to learn. So that Christ may be lifted up preeminent above all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So have you ever been on a, ever been on a team? Who's been on a team? You know, don't just limit it to sports. All the jocks are like, nailed it. <laughs> this was on two in high school. Made varsity one time too, right? Team? Who's been on a team? Right? You think about it, we actually, we, 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 we pick a lot of teams throughout life. You don't get to pick your family. That's not a team you get to pick. Right? But it starts when you're a kid, you pick sports teams, right? Who did that? Who played sports? Kid. Junior high, high school. Joined a team, right? Started talking a little differently, didn't you? Right? Started having camaraderie a little differently, didn't you? Started having a little bit more discipline in areas of your life than before, right? How many, how many people are married? Right? Chose a teammate, didn't you? Right? right. Best decision you ever made. Right? Guys, right? <laughs> Girls kind of ebb and flow on that question, right? He's a work in progress, right? (laughs) You pick that team. That's a solid team, yes? What about business? Who's in business? Right? Pick a team, don't you? You you toe a line. You you, you look the part. You talk the part. Look, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be 10 at 10 a.m. I'm going to be in my Monday morning marketing meeting talking about B2C, customer relations, network building, revenue we did last week, campaigns we've got going out, scheduling. Look, I'm going to be on that team. And I say all this because tonight we're going to be talking about two teams. And Jesus is going to put before you that you have to make a choice. He says there's two teams. And we should get excited because Jesus picks his team, by the way. Jesus picks his team. Those that respond to the gospel, those that respond to the truth of his word have been chosen. So as much as there's responsibility in the human side, there's also election on God's side. And so if this stirs in you, just, just if, if it comes to your gut, it comes through your heart, that these two sides have been presented and you know which side is true, that's because Jesus himself has chosen you. For his team. And think about how excited we get when we're chosen for a team, right? Talked about us picking teams. Like in Little League, they have to take you, by the way. Do you know that? I made the team. So did 40 other kids, right? Think about that time you got chosen 
for a team. Think about that. Even, hey, in business, right? I just interviewed, if some of you know, I was unemployed for two months this summer. Tough, right? Like mortgage, bills, all that sort of stuff. My severance went like that. I interviewed, oh, I actually I submitted my resume against, this is not to build me up, just I'm going somewhere with this. The president, after I was hired, said, look, there's about 250 candidates for your gig. I was ch- like, that's responsibility. Now it's like, don't screw up, right? Like, that's how that meeting goes, okay? But you're like, man, I was chosen for a team. How many made like a traveling league when you were younger, right? Like, tra- I was from, I'm from the Midwest. We called it like traveling. Like, that's where you're not just with your school, but you made like the traveling league that went around the state. Like, you made that team. Heck, even in the military, a lot of people don't know this. The media certainly won't tell you. When I got to my unit in the Marine Corps, I had to apply to go to Iraq as a volunteer. There's about 80 of us that volunteered. About 30 of us got chosen to go. You'd never hear that. You'd think we're getting over to drug over there, dragging and screaming. I had to have my physical, my physical abilities on point. I had to know my job. I had to be chosen. I had to be selected. It was a great honor to be on this team. I was chosen. But I chose to be on that team as well. I wanted to be there. I volunteered. I looked a certain way. Talked a certain way lived a certain way, was on a certain mission. That was the team I had chosen, and that team had chosen me. And again, I say this because tonight we come to the final part in our study on Jesus and demons. And Jesus is going to have a very, very, just incredibly divisive statement. He draws one huge line down the middle of the dodgeball court. says, us versus them. That's it. And this has sort of been a theme the whole study, wouldn't you say? I hope I've done a a, a bit of a job setting up that there are these two realms, these two teams. There's not only the physical realm, but there's the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there's two teams. And that's it. So it's not about being spiritual. It's about being tapped into the Holy Spirit. It's about being spirit-filled. And we took a look in our first study, we see that as Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he goes out onto mission, as we the church, you've heard me say this time and time again, I'm going to continue to say it till I'm blue in the face, or till we start doing something about it, that we're baptized with the Holy Spirit as Christians, and we go out onto mission, and Satan shows up. The Satan. The leader of the demonic ranks. And there are ranks, just like there are angels. Some are stronger, some are holier, some are wiser, some are more powerful. Just as is in the case with the angels. And Satan himself shows up immediately as Jesus goes out on mission. And though it may not be Satan attacking you, because Satan can only be in one place at one time, anywhere in all of creation. He's not God, he can't be everywhere. Even though it may not be Satan, he will send demons. And Jesus encountered demons more than anyone in the Bible. And he talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible. And so we see as Christ went out living the perfect Christian life, he was attacked by demons. Because when you are spirit-filled, you are now engaged in warfare. You don't get to choose. Warfare will come to you. Warfare will come to you. And to draw another military analogy, look, it used to be back in the day there were front lines, back lines, no more today. If you wake up tomorrow and you're in the middle of Fallujah, it doesn't matter if you want to be or not, you're in warfare. There's no front lines and back lines where you can relax and rest. If you're spirit-filled, you are engaged in warfare. And it's my job as a pastor, it's Zach's job as we minister to you to equip you for that warfare. And so we've been studying, we took a look at Satan immediately comes after Jesus. He takes him out and he tempts him three times. And Jesus just throws Bible at him. Says you're distorting God's word. You're taking it out of context. Anytime you take a text out of context, you're just left out with a con. He just throws Bible at him. Says you do not tempt the Lord your God. You're taking, you're taking the Bible out of context. And then we saw just a few verses later, he's in the synagogue and a demoniac comes. Someone possessed and demons can possess and they can oppress. And they're smart enough to know that in America, we're not very superstitious. 
we're not, despite like all the weird underwear stuff with baseball players and stuff like that and socks with football players, we're actually not. And so they operate differently in America than they do in other countries. So I'm like, man, people in Africa, it's just crazy. They just think they see demons all the time. It's just left and right. They, they come from a very superstitious culture, and you better believe demons operate differently there. Better believe it. These are fallen angels. They are not idiots. They are smart. They are smart. And so one of the greatest tricks that they do in America is just simply allow you to think that they don't exist. It's one of the greatest tricks. And I remember at the very beginning of the study, I quoted C.S. Lewis. And I'll paraphrase. He says, look, there's two equal... There's two equal and wrong views when it comes to demons. One is to believe that they don't exist, and one is to put too much emphasis on their existence. Just totally butchering the quote, by the way. Okay? It's from the screw tape letters. This is equal and every bit as destructive in their beliefs is that they don't exist or to put way too much interest into them. But they constantly came at Jesus. They will constantly come at the Christian. Because you're spirit-filled, you're now engaged. And a lot of times it's just about whispering lies. It's about tempting you to sin, though they can't force you to sin. It's about oppression. It's about bringing up shame. It's about bringing up your history. It's about saying that you're not worthy. That if you're a child of God, bad things wouldn't be happening to you. That's how they operate. Cunning. And so we saw again, Jesus tempted by Satan himself and then a demoniac comes into the synagogue, throws this guy around and and Jesus releases him from that oppression, that possession. Then we saw the week after that, we saw that crazy scene where the disciples come across the lake with Jesus. And out of the cemetery up in the hills, a demoniac, a man that had been possessed a long time by a demon who had been cutting himself with stones who had been breaking chains that people had put on him, who had been haunting this city, living naked in a graveyard, runs to Jesus. And the demoniac says, what do you have to do with me, son of the most high God? Because demons, as Pastor Rob said this morning, demons know Jesus is God. Jesus created them. Humans have the audacity to say, I think I'm just going to try to figure it out. Demons figured that out a long time ago. They've seen Jesus face to face and they fall on their face before him. But we saw that even as strong as that demoniac was, as strong as that demon was, that legion of demons, they could not stop that man from getting to the feet of Jesus. They could not. And so demonic possession, oppression, shame, lies, history, all of that, none of that can be a barrier to get to Jesus. You get to Jesus first. And we saw that picture of restoration, that that man was restored by Jesus. The demons were cast out by Jesus. He was in his right mind. He was clothed. Which, by the way, was the first restorative act that God performed in the garden after they had sinned. He put clothes on them. That's why I start clothes companies. I I just do clothing companies. I think it's totally gospel-centered, right? Some of you know, some of you are confused. You'll figure it out at some point. For friends with me on Facebook, right? And so it's just, he, he clothed this man. He was in his right mind. Nothing can stop you from getting to Jesus, not even a demon. And then last week we saw in the transfiguration, we saw creator God stretch out his arms, did we not? The glory of God on display. Jesus in the incarnation goes up on a mountain and stretches out as creator God. He just, I just imagine he just, had to, he just had to stretch. It was one of those like morning stretches that you don't even really fully understand until you're like at least 30. You're just like, oh, the stretch. And this is creator God that's been confined in the incarnation. He just stretches out. And Moses and Elijah are there. The whole consummation of the Old Testament is there. They're talking about what's going to happen on the cross. And then Jesus comes back down in the incarnation. He goes back down into ministry and it's just utter misery. And there's a dad whose only son is afflicted by a demon. Whose only son. And we took a look at the historical context of that. And how incredibly painful and tormenting that must have been to have your only son in that day afflicted with a demon since you were a kid. And that demon had his way with that child from birth, from from childhood, from very, very early on. He would throw that poor boy into fire. He would throw that poor little child into water 
At times he would render that kid mute so that as he threw him into a fire, he couldn't even scream for help. Imagine a seven-year-old having to drag himself out of a campfire, having to drag himself out of the water. Dad is tormented. That family is tormented. Dad likely, this is is me projecting, but likely slept next to that boy every night, not knowing when he would be attacked again. We just throw that boy around. And we see that demons and Satan are sick. God comes to bring life. They come to bring destruction. And so tonight we take a look at one more instance. And again, these four weeks are not covering all of them. There's many instances, some of them very short, two verses, some of them longer. But tonight we're going to end in Luke 11, beginning with verse 14. And it says, and he was casting out a demon. Jesus comes to confront, engage, and obliterate the demonic realm. And so he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. It was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. Look, Jesus has been doing this left and right. They're marveling in this particular instance because look, in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish ranks, they had their own exorcists, okay? They had their own exorcists. But there was a belief, and the irony is that even today, this belief still exists among the ranks of exorcists. That you've got to learn the demon's name in order to cast it out. And so that this demon was mute, What's your name? Doesn't give it to you. And Jesus says, get out of here. How do you do that without knowing the name? He says, I created everything. I can do as I wish. Can cast him out without knowing a name. Even as we saw the legion of demons, he didn't give him a name. He gave him a number. What's your name, demon? 6,000. Out. And so you need to know that the only name, and again, this existed back then, this idea you've got to know their name. And today, even among some of the exorcism, and look, I've studied demonology, not because I'm entirely fascinated with it, but because Jesus encountered it more than anyone. And I've studied it, and this still exists. You've probably seen it in Hollywood. Anyone seen The Right with Anthony Hopkins? The whole culmination of the movie is getting that demon to declare its name. That's not the name that matters. That's not the name that matters. And we saw that the disciples were unable to cast out a demon. We saw that last week because they were short in fasting and prayer. They had been removing themselves from the power of God. And as Christians, it says that we've been given the authority. Because keep in mind, in Acts, as I've said time and time again, Jesus' ministry did not end when he ascended. It transferred. And Jesus says, I've given you, I've given the apostles, I've given the church, I've given the Christians, even at the end of 2014, I've given you authority over demons. But we confuse that as our authority rather than the transferring of his authority. So Jesus' name is the one that matters. Possession, oppression, I've never been possessed, I have been oppressed one time for sure. And though it doesn't always go this way, at the name of Jesus, it was released. I don't even know how long I had been specifically oppressed, but once I realized what it was, I said, Jesus, free me, and I fell asleep. On the couch, you may sound superstitious, you may not believe me, that's fine. It's for me and my wife to understand was a reality. She was in the other room holding my boys, being like, something's wrong with that. It was the name of Jesus that released that. I need not know the demon's name. That's not how it works. And so he says he was mute and they were marveled. He doesn't even need to know their name. No, of course not. I was there before they existed. I was there before heaven existed. I could do with it as I please. So I said this every week. This is not mainly a study about demons. This is a study about the authority of Jesus Christ over all creation, physical and spiritual. But in that spiritual realm, there's two teams. So it's not about being spiritual. It's about being spirit-filled, as we'll see. And so he says it was mute. 
that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, but some of them said, and here comes the two reactions. Now the disciples made their own mistake last week, didn't they? Go up on the mountain. Jesus is high and lifted up, glorified creator God. You got to love Peter. What does he say? Moses, Elijah, everyone's here. Let's not go anywhere else. Let's stay here. Three tabernacles. You each get your own tent. I'll, I'll sleep outside, whatever. We'll figure it out. Let's just not go down there with the crazy people. I think they're doing fine. Okay, right? Let's just stay here. And what did he do? He put them on the same footing as people. The same footing as Moses. The same footing as Elijah. Not knowing that Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses. He was the fulfillment of Elijah. And then God the Father showed up. What did he say? Oh, I'll do that again. Right? And we do that too. I got my work. I got my family. I got my hobbies. I got my Friday nights. I got some Jesus time. I got, right? And we compartmentalize. Look, I got, I got my law. I got my prophets. I got my Messiah. We're good. God the Father shows up in a cloud and says, don't do that again. Right? It's like dirty dancing. No one puts baby in a corner. Right? You know? Like, right? Bad analogy. Right? And I lost my chapter. All right. So God says, look, you don't just put him in a tent. You don't put him in a tent with the others. Okay, right? Yeah? Okay. We can move on. That was awkward. Right? And so he says this. He says, so here comes the two reactions. The disciples made their error. Now these people make two. He says, but some of them said, hey, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, by Satan. The name itself is really tough to sort of dig into and find the exact meaning, but it probably came from a word that translated to Lord of the Flies. No joke. It's not a joke. I'm not trying to be funny, right? Sometimes I'm just accidentally epically funny, right? But it's not one of those times, right? So Beelzebub, he's referring to Satan. He says, look, He's, he's just, look, he's just another spirit. He's just another musician. Look, he's just another wicked guy. He's just another Ouija board, right? This is crazy. It's just all weird, and, right? We just want to, look, everything spiritual is bad, right? We do that sometimes ourselves, don't we? That's the other, some people just want to be spiritual. Some people want nothing to do with the spiritual realm. Now it's just all about cerebral. It's what I can see. It's material. It's physical. It's carnal. It's everything here, right? Everything of that's just crazy, evil superstition, weirdo stuff. And he says, look, he, he casts it out by Beelzebub. Two errors. One, they put him on the same plane as Satan. As if he's submitted to Satan among the demonic ranks. He's working for Satan. Uh, Jesus is going to come back with him too. Jesus, Jesus is hilarious, by the way. You guys are telling you, Jesus comes back with a witty response. Two things. He says, he says, look, you're essentially, you're, you're, you're playing on Satan's team. You're working for Beelzebub. So he puts him on Satan's level. But then they make the mistake as well that assume that he's working against Satan while being on Satan's team. It makes no sense, and Jesus will correct him. And so he says, he says, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So he says, Jesus, you're working for Satan. You're on the same plane as him. And then others testing him. And Satan did what? When he came to Jesus in our first study, he tested him, he tempted him. And Jesus said, what? You don't test me. And he quotes scriptures. You do not test me. You do not tempt the Lord your God. Doesn't mean that we can't question God, that we can't seek to further understand him, that we can bring concerns and questions to God. There's only one, ironically, there's only one time in scripture that he says, I want you to test me. Does anyone know what that is? Tithing, right? Tithing of all things. Because he knows how much we grip that money with our just hammer strength. He says, test me with that. Look, show me a little bit of faith. I'll show you what I can do in terms of money. It's the only time he says it. And so they're testing him now. Say, hey, look, testing him, sought from him, a sign from heaven. Here's that mistake. Hey, Jesus, do something for me. You done that? Maybe you don't identify with the first mistake at all. You're like, they put him on, G- on Satan's team? That's crazy. Those guys are idiots. How many of us have tested Jesus and said, hey, look, Jesus, if you come through on this, I'll, I'll, I'll really kind of step up my game. Have you done that? Hey, Jesus, you come through on this. I just saw Unbroken last night. It's not a direct parallel. Great flick, probably the best flick of the, of the year. 
Not my favorite. My favorite was Fury, okay? But probably the best movie of the year. But you saw him in the raft. You saw the guy looks up. He says, look, hey, God. And, and look, I love the testimony. And I know the guy went on to live a faithful life. And it was a change. And I'm not trying to, to look down on him for this. But he says, hey, look, God, if you do this for me, I'll serve you. You, you, you pull me out of this, I'll serve you. And I'll tell you this, there's a temptation to do that. When I first got into Iraq, there was a very, very clear, the first time you're getting ready to go out, a very clear attempt and and desire to pray that prayer. But it was a pivotal time in my life. And for the first time I actually prayed, God, when we go out there and we knew they were waiting for us, we were responding to a a religious leader that had been assassinated. They do that to scare the people and to draw in the U.S. troops. They waited for us in an intersection. They came. And for the first time in my life, I didn't pray, God, if you get me through this safely, man, I'm really going to testify to these. No, for the first time I said, God, whatever your will is. It's not Jesus, do something for me and I'll do something for you. This is not a barter. This is not an opposing equal of yours. This is not a cosmic genie in the sky. And how many of us do that? Look, Jesus, you get this job, I'm going to serve you faithfully in it. You're testing Jesus. You're testing God. Get me through this. I'll do something for you. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. And so they were testing him. And he, Jesus, verse 17, knowing their thoughts. This is him availing himself to his divinity in the incarnation. In the incarnation, every, oft, every so often, he would avail himself to his divinity in that regard. You notice that Jesus didn't walk through walls, though he could have? Submitted to the incarnation. There were certain things that he, he, he would not avail himself to in his divine power. He would, 100% man, 100% God. But in this moment, he knew their thoughts. He's creator of the universe. He says, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. I love this. Check this out. So he corrects them. He says, hey, if Satan also is divided against himself, you put me on Satan's team. He's just going to take him through logical deduction here. Okay, you said I'm working for Satan by casting out demons. Let's check on that for a second. He says, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub. I love Jesus. I think he said it probably a little snarky. I think Jesus was probably like, let me get this straight. Come here, genius. So I cast out a demon, which is one of Satan's guys. And you say I work for Satan, but I just casted out one of his guys. How does that work? I think that's how Jesus did it, in my own mind. It doesn't, the scripture doesn't say that. I'm just channeling the Holy Spirit right now. I'm just kidding. Right? And so <clears throat> I think Jesus was funnier than we give him credit for, right? He says, so I'm working against Satan by kicking Satan's people out, right? And check this out. He goes further. He actually gets even funnier. Some of you don't think Jesus is funny. I feel bad for you, okay? And he says this. He says, and if I cast out demons by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, therefore, they will be your judges. He says, look, so you've got your own exorcists, and they hustle and tussle with demons, They're your sons. They're part of your tribe. They're your people. And so when I do the same thing, you you not only put me on the ranks with Beelzebub, you say I'm working for him. Is the same true of your kids? Is the same true of your exorcists? Total double standard when it comes to Jesus. Jesus begins to part the way. I just think that's hilarious. Whom do your sons cast him out then? It says, therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, I love this. Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now check this out. I didn't bring a prop, but we'll just use one of these things. If you're Catholic, don't freak out. Okay, so check this out. It's not the actual body. Okay, so... I apologize if you're offended. Just in proportionality, it's not a perfect analogy, and all analogies fail over time. 
But Jesus says, look, if I cast out demons, if I control the demonic realm with just the finger of God, just the finger of God, See, we set up sin in our life, we set up evil in our life, we set up demons in our life, affliction, shame, history, worry, all of that. Everything, all the tools that Satan would ever use, Jesus says, but with the finger of God. Just as a way of showing us that just the finger, and you notice that the fingers aren't really that, that strong in and of themselves, right? Have you noticed that? Like you're at, the, you're at the gym just trying to lift up big weights and because you're so strong, you could really handle them if your dang fingers wouldn't give out, you know, right? You've even got something called like the hook grip where you're supposed to like put your thumb over your finger, right? Because you just can't, you just can't. Look, your finger, it's, it does its thing. It's all right. By itself, it's, you know, like what could you really do with your finger? You tried carrying stuff around with your finger recently? Try that. Just try tomorrow, just everything with your index. Like open the door, right? Like carry stuff, this is your finger. He says, and look, it's not belittling the finger of God, but he says, hey, look, with the finger of God, everything in the demonic realm, but with the finger of God, maybe he's probably, Jesus is probably talking about the pinky too, right? He's probably just like, go with the little guy, okay, right? Just the finger of God. Look at the proportionality. Look at what he's talking about. He's like, bro, I haven't even brought the fist. I didn't even bring like elbow stuff, right? Like, just the finger. Yeah? WWE people are like, right? But just the finger of God, he says. All that we set up is opposition to God, he says, but with the finger. There it is. He says, this is how you know the kingdom of God is at hand. And keep everything in mind. Keep everything in context. I've done this every week. I'm going to do it again. Especially because there's new people. In the beginning, God created, right? created everything and don't put God in heaven when he did the creating it says he created the heavens and the earth there was just God that big infinite timeless spaceless immaterial that's why when we try to measure him with measuring sticks that are time space and material we can't find proof go figure because he's spaceless timeless and immaterial He creates heaven and earth. On the earth, he creates humans. In heaven, he creates angels. And one of those angels brought rebellion to the universe. Isaiah 14, 14 says, I'll be like the most high, as Rob exhorted us this morning. It's the first sin, pride. I'll be like God. I'll be my own authority. It's the root of all sin. It's the root of all sin. That's why this whole series is about the authority of Christ. I'll be like the most high. Grabbed a third of the angels, which are innumerable, rebelled against God, got kicked out of heaven. Goes down to the garden, feeds Adam and Eve the same lie. You can be like God. They fell for it. The fall. You can be like God. All of creation now fractured. He says, the kingdom of God, the God who was there before heavens and earth. Jesus comes with that power, that authority, that sovereignty over all creation, physical and spiritual. And so if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you And then Jesus continues in this. He wants to be clear. He says, when a strong man, and people go a little crazy. Look, I'm gonna break it down for you real simple. Strong man, Satan. Okay? Just think of that. That's who the strong man is. Demons are powerful, strong, the Bible says. Wise. At one point they were holy and they still are separate. Incredible creatures. Angels are not cute. And when they fell, they became demons. They're still not cute. And they're still strong. And so Jesus says, look, check this out. When a strong man, that's Satan, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Jesus is laying down verbal smack right now. Watch this. He says, look, Satan's got his whole palace. He's got it all set up on the earth. 
As we've talked about in this study, look, everyone is behind enemy lines on earth. Everyone. Satan has been granted a lot of authority on earth. He's got his palace set up. He's got his guards. And Jesus says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes, that's Jesus. When a stronger than he comes upon him, and so he comes upon him, he engages him. This is Jesus on the offense. Some of you think Jesus is just on his heels the whole time. Not true. Some of you look at him right now, you're like, look at all this crap going on in the world. Jesus, you're just, are you caught off guard up there? What are you doing? Jesus is on the offense. And as the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to be on those front lines. In that offense. And so he says he comes upon him and overcomes him. He obliterates him. Jesus will come upon the demonic realm and overcome him. And he takes from him, he disarms him. We've given Satan far more power than he ought to ever be attributed. Far more. Christian, when you're under the banner of Christ, you bring with you his authority. Not your own. Not because you studied a lot and went to church a bunch. You bring the banner of Christ. You bring the name that matters. And it says he disarms him. He takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. I just want some of you to be reassured tonight that Satan will have no lasting victory. None. No lasting victory. He will have none of the spoils of war. The Bible says that the kingdom of God will expand forever. Everything will be consumed by the kingdom of God. That means Jesus reigns supreme over all things, even hell. Some of you have been made to believe that hell is where Satan gets to go with his team. At least he's got his pad. They probably got beer, party. They probably got their own little thing. It's like the drunk tank at the local jail. And he's happy, he's content, at least he got his own apartment, he got, he's got hell. Satan is tormented in hell. Demons are tormented in hell. Everything that's going on in this earth is, is going to be of no lasting victory to Satan. Think about that as we roll into another year where we're going to continue to hear about the expanse of sex trafficking. Where we're going to continue to read about the expanse of porn and human trade, and abuse, and neglect, and molestation, and rape. We're going to roll into another depressing year of living behind enemy lines in what Satan perceives to be his palace guarded by strong demons. Jesus says, but with the finger of God, it will all be put right. All of it. I need you to know that the, the oppression, the, the, the shame, the, the, the weight of this world, which is despicable at times, it's almost unbearable at times. There will be no lasting victory in it. There will come a time when all things are made new, when there is no more pain, no more sorrow. The God that holds every single tear you've ever cried in a bottle will reign supreme. In both the, the, the physical realm and the new earth will be a physical place. We will have glorified bodies as Jesus had a glorified body. When heaven and the new earth meet, Jesus will reign, does reign infinitely, supremely over all. And Satan will not be in any sort of victory. You need to know that if you're frustrated with God right now, with everything that's going on, you need to know that under his sovereignty, there will be no, there will not be a shred of victory. Jesus will divide it all. 
He will take from Satan it all and divide his spoils. Verse 23, Jesus says this. And if you came to hear from hippie Jesus tonight, I'm sorry. If you came to hear kumbaya, that all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God, not to heaven. And Jesus says there's two teams. Check this out. And he who is not with me is neutral. Oh, my bad. Different Bible. He who is not with me is against me. Notice nothing about neutrality. Notice nothing about, hey, he who's not with me, unless he hasn't made up his mind, could be a guy that I might perceive to possibly be in opposition to me, depending on circumstances. He says, you're not with me. If you're not abiding with me, if you're not with me, Jesus says, you are against me. It's tough words. Jesus says, as creator, you're either with me who was there before heaven and earth, or you're against me. Even in your neutrality, you've made a decision. There's a decision to be on Jesus's team or off it. That's it. Divisive words from the creator. He says, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so this is Jesus saying, there are two sides. One side is those who are with me, Christians, under the banner of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus, under the rule of the sovereign King Jesus, and there is everyone else. Everyone else. Demons made their decision, and as we saw in studies past, they can't repent of it. The good news for you tonight is if you haven't even made that decision, there's still time. If you made the wrong decision, there's still time. But Jesus says you have to make a decision, and no decision is a decision at all. No decision is a decision. It says there is Jesus, and there is everything evil. And I'm sorry if that's, if, I'm sorry if, if how I say something offends you, I repent. But if something God tells you offends you, you repent. If I ever say something in a way in which causes you to be frustrated with me, that's out of line, look, I repent. I will. Come to me, tell me, I'll repent of it. But if Jesus says you're on my team or you're against me, you say, that offends me, Pastor Mark, you repent. You repent. And so Jesus draws a very big line down the center of the dodgeball court. He says, there are clearly, you Christians are so black and white. Sometimes Jesus was too. With me, under my banner, for all of eternity, or perish. Repent, or perish. And so he says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Have you made the decision? Here's where I'm going to push some of you Christians. Would anyone even know you made the decision? Yeah, I've team Jesus, been going to church my whole life. I didn't ask you that. Jesus didn't say, hey, look, he who goes to church, and everyone else is against me. What do he say? He was with me. Are you with him? There's many, there's many levels. There's so much depth in that statement. We can't go into it tonight. But if you know, you know. If the Holy Spirit's gripped you, you know. If you haven't made that decision, you need to know you're standing in opposition of the creator of all things. Shaking your little fist at the God that was there before heaven existed. But I'll be my own authority. Satan said the same thing. But I'll be my own authority. Adam and Eve said the same thing. Jesus says, you're with me or you're against me. And he divides. Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but what? The sword, it cuts right down the middle of everything. 
So I need you to contend in your heart tonight. I need you to contend with that statement. Christians, I need, to, I need you to contend. When you talk about getting chosen for a team, if you put on the uniform, you join a team, you make a baseball team, you start talking differently, you start going to practice, you start preparing, you start training, right? You start hanging out with different people. You say, I, I chose team Jesus. Are you in fellowship throughout the week? Are you in scripture? Are you in discipleship? Do you have accountability in your life? Are you meditating on the word day and night? Are you praying without ceasing? Would anyone even know? As Josh McDowell said, look, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict you? Something, something different about that guy, right? And we used to look down as Jesus freaks and weirdos. Everyone knows he's a Christian. Do people know? It doesn't mean you stand at your desk at your secular job and start screaming. Jesus had a secular job for 18 years, working well to the glory of the Father at all times. But do you seize those opportunities to talk to people? Do you have an understanding of God's word? Do you keep it as Jesus is about to exhort us, Christians? So for the non-Christians, have you made a decision? And if you haven't made a decision, you need to know that is a decision tonight. And so he says, he who is not with me is against me. And he does not gather with me, scatters. In verse 24, we're going to get a little bit more um, of the method and the mayhem behind the demonic realm. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out from a man, when he's cast out, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. They're just miserable beings. Life apart from Jesus is just miserable in the physical realm and the spiritual realm just miserable. It's dry. There is no rest. That's why Jesus comes and says, I will be your rest. And he says, through dry places, seeking rest and finding none, he says, he's speaking of the demon. The demon says, I'll return to my house. That's the body of someone from which I came. I'll go back. Demons have this incessant need to dwell, to destroy God's creation. This incessant need to get inside the hearts of men and ladies, and cut them up because they represent the image of God. We're the only part of God's creation stamped with his image. They can't stand it. So they get inside, they want to tear it apart. They want to get inside and destroy everything. Lies, deception, temptation, death, destruction. It says, I'll go back to that. But check this out. Say this demon's been casted out. Let me break it down real fast. Demon's been casted out. He goes out, he's miserable. He's going to find his way back. But it does not come back in the same way it left. It says, verse 25, and when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. The evil, the affliction, the oppression, the possession has been removed. He comes back, and this is what happens. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Some demons are more wicked than others. More wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. He says, look, simply removing demonic oppression, simply removing affliction and shame in your life, simply removing that sets you up for an even worse condition if you're not then filled with Christ. You could get rid of a bona fide demon, get rid of him, reject Jesus. He's coming back sevenfold and they're even more wicked than he was. It's not enough to say no more affliction in my life. I'm over it. Good message. Dug the music. Love the white curtains. I'm I'm lifting this stuff and then make a decision on whether or not I'm on Jesus's team. Nah. I'm just going to leave all that junk there at the cross. I'm going to go on. Adam, not ready to make a decision. That demon is coming back for you. Seven times over more wicked than it started. And some of you say, I just, I don't have demons in my life. Have you, have you just had your, your history brought up? Have you had lies whisper? Have you doubted God's goodness? Have you wanted to test God, say, God, do something for me, and then I'll see if I'll serve you then? It's demonic. The demons are going to come back. Oppression and affliction and shame and sin is going to come back. 
Our hearts are like vacuums. They must be filled. They're pulling for something. They're pulling for something. Another bad analogy. I was working with the, the magna block things with my little boy tonight, Ethan, right? The little things that just like click together and all sorts of stuff. And every time we build a box, I don't know why Ethan's like, you have to put a car in there, dad. I just want to build a box, Ethan. Like, it's just like, I'm working on my game here, right? Like, bam. He's like, no, you got to have a car in there. I'm like, why? He's like, a space just has to be filled. You got to have a car in the box. Think about that. Look, something's got to go in your heart. You don't get to just be free of everything. Something's going to go in there. So you can't just remove demons and say, well, now I'm just neutral. Remove demons, remove affliction, remove your porn addiction, remove sin, remove gluttony and greed and pride and anger. I'm just going to remove all that. But if you're not then indwelled with the Holy Spirit, it's coming back for you seven times over. And it's going to be even more wicked than when it left. And so that's the constant battle as Jesus teaches you to overcome sin and resist sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. As he resisted sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, you resist that and then you get filled with me more. That's why it's not just bumper sticker theology. It says less of you or less of me and more of you. That's practical. Less of me means no, I'm not going to click on that. Jesus, fill me up in that spot now because I just can't remove my porn addiction and expect everything to be better. It has to be something filling that spot. And so he says, they're going to come back. And then we'll just, we'll end with the last two. It says, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised up her voice and said, and blessed is the womb that bore you. They spoke differently back then. It's kind of awkward, right? And, and, and it says, and the breast which nursed you. But Jesus said, more than that, more than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Oh, see, I don't want to get legalistic. So all that keeping this, oh, saved by grace. Yeah, saved by grace. Absolutely. Now what? Jesus says, you pick a team and blessed will be those who hear the word of God and keep it. And keep it. Do you hear the word of God? Like, yeah, you yell at us every Sunday, right? <laughs> One day a week? Really? I, I come twice on Sundays. Twice a week? Do you hear the word of God? T- Monday. How are you going to hear the word of God tomorrow? The word of God. Doesn't mean God's confined to this Bible. It means that everything you need to know about truth and salvation is contained within it. Everything you need to know. We can't understand everything about God by reading the Bible. Just as I've said in the past, we can't know it fully, but we can know it truly. It says, hear the word of God and keep it. How's that going for you, Christian? How's that going for you? Are you hearing, learning, and keeping the word of God? Because Jesus says, look, there's two teams. One side is all about lies, death, destruction, throwing little boys into fire, throwing kids into the water, rendering people mute, cutting them. The other side is about truth, life, and restoration. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. And it says that with the finger of God... Jesus will crush them. You want to know what this sounds like, by the way? You want to know what this sounds like? We'll just go to Revelation 20 real fast because if I don't go over an hour, I feel you know, ill-equipped. You know, it's just like, it's ridiculous. So Jesus has come back in Revelation 19, arguably my favorite chapter in the Bible. Okay, that's a joke, but I'm somewhat serious. Okay, and so he, he, he comes back. Jesus comes back. Did you know that he comes back and he just starts crushing every enemy? And then they bind Satan for a thousand years and then they let him go. Why on earth would God let Satan go again? You ever thought about that? It says it right there. Satan bound for a thousand years at the beginning of chapter 20. And then the saints reign with Christ for a thousand years and then they let 
God himself lets Satan go. Why? Why? Because before Jesus finishes the whole thing, he's going to show humanity one more time that we choose rebellion. He says, you've chosen it in the garden. You're going to choose it till the last minute. Till the last minute, there will still be just two teams. Those that follow me, even in the tribulation, there's salvation in the tribulation. Till the last minute, I'm going to let Satan go and the other team will rear its head and they will follow Satan to their destruction. It sounds like this. It says, now when the thousand years, I'm reading out of chapter 20, verse seven, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. I told you, it's always been a war. To gather them together for battle. Listen to this. Whose number is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot. Then they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. It says, here they go. They set themselves up. One more rebellion. Our team versus their team. Here we go, Jesus says. Nope. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's over. Some of you think it's the battle of the Armageddon. It's not. It's the slaughter of the Armageddon. Some of you don't like that. I don't like just the mass, the battle, the war stuff. You need to know that Jesus destroys his enemies. Jesus is going to destroy the man that runs that brothel if he does not repent. Jesus will destroy him. The one slinging kids out of Long Beach. Jesus will come back and destroy. I take comfort in that. Maybe it's because I'm militaristic, 33-year-old male in America. I don't know. But Jesus destroying those who oppose him brings me comfort. Because that means ultimately, though, we should work for restoration in our time. Ultimately, it doesn't fall on my shoulders. There will be no lasting victory. He says a fire comes down and devours them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's how this game ends. That's how this game ends. I don't know if you know this, but, but picking a team should never been e- be easier than knowing one of those teams has already won. Amen. Jesus is up there right now with the trophy being like, seriously, you're trying to figure out which team? Let me tell you how the World Series goes. Amen. It's over before they even get to the stadium. And he sits up there right now, a living king on a throne. And he says this, Colossians 2.15 I should use my notes every once in a while. And it says this, he says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of flesh. Christian, you're putting off the sins of the flesh. And he says, by circumcision of Christ, you're buried with him in baptism. That's why Zach and I love doing baptisms. If you haven't been baptized yet, let's do baptisms. He says, having faith through, or having him through faith in the working of God. You were also raised, who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've stolen, every bad thought, every sick, perverse thought you've even had in your head. Jesus has forgiven you. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, that's the law, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it. Remember, Jesus says, look, I'm going to take their weapons. I'm going to take it from them. We're the ones trying to put weapons back in their hands. As we sin, as we fall prey to shame and our past and drumming up and believing lies and mistrust. Jesus says, look, I'm going to show you. 
He says it was taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. That's the whole demonic realm. He says, look, you're on the battlefield. You're facing the enemy. You need to know they don't have any weapons. But you said they were strong. They are, but they have no weapons. It says this. It says he made a public spectacle of them. On the cross, Jesus took all their weapons and he took it to the grave. Every lie they can make you believe about your past, every bit of doubt and mistrust and anger and pride and lust, Jesus took it upon himself. He says, I'm gonna make a spectacle of demons. And it says this, triumphing, triumphing, triumphing over them. It's it. On the cross, demons were defeated. On the cross, Satan was defeated. On the cross, your sin was defeated. On the cross, death was defeated. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin. One side tempts you with sin. The other team was tempted yet without sin. That's Jesus. Without sin, God put all the sin that you've ever committed on Jesus and he poured out his wrath and put him to death. That's why God's not angry with you. That's why demons are so angry with you. Because Jesus has already won. So we wave the banner of Jesus now. We say over demons and shame and affliction and evil and Satan himself, Jesus rules supreme. Amen?